covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thanks so much for being tuned in. It is an exciting time to be talking Milwaukee Brewers baseball as the Brewers, as I speak to you at the time of recording, it is the Sunday evening, the off day between games one and two, and then games three, four, and five in Los Angeles of the NLCS. And man, we got a lot to get to. We got a lot to get to on the podcast this week, and we absolutely will get to it coming up in just a moment or so. You know the deal if you listen to the podcast every week, housekeeping items. We do it at the top. Uh, let's uh, first off, if you listen to the show via Apple Podcast, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, and can leave a ranking review, that's great. If you can subscribe to the podcast, that is also great as well. Thank you for doing that. Uh, also, if you need to get in contact with me, you can do so uh, emailing matt.pauly at wtmj.com. You can also tweet at me. That's the best way to go about it. Tweeting at me, at Matt Pauly on air is the Twitter handle, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. On the program this week, this might be the quickest return visit from a featured guest as we have had in the program outside of like maybe a special two-part conversation. We've done things like that in the past, but uh, unique conversations, uh, quick turnaround for Adam Rigg of the Brewer Nation. And I'll tell you what, part of that is, so I, I asked him on the last time, and I was actually a little late getting him on in terms of my rotation that I try to keep in my head, and that's why I was late because I'm not very good uh, with math and doing things like that. And he said to me he would come on but he didn't want to miss out on opportunity to do the podcast when the team is in the playoffs. I still think the team will be in the playoffs when we're recording this post uh, this podcast next week, but on the chance that they're not, had to get Adam in on a postseason edition of the podcast. So uh, Adam Rigg from the Brewer Nation, he is going to be back with us. He is our featured guest coming up in just a few minutes. I want to touch on something real quick. and uh, Man, I, 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 I internally debated whether or not to talk about this, because I say this all the time. I I realize that a lot of times the conversation, the narrative, whatever word you want to use that we see on social media, even that I get via like a text line when I'm doing my post-game shows on WTMJ radio, that quite honestly, that represents a minority of Brewers fans. Like you want to see, you want to see a true representation of a fan base Go sit at Miller Park on the first game of a playoff series when the entire team is being announced and hear manager Craig Council's name get announced, and he gets the biggest uh, ovation. I think Christian Yelich was right there next to him, but Craig Council is uh, is the most popular brewer in terms of crowd reaction when name being announced at Miller Park. So I say all that to say this. I, I realize what I'm about to talk to, or maybe the people I'm about to talk to is the best way to say that, that there's a lot of Brewers fans out there that this probably doesn't apply to. I was surprised after Game 2 of the NLCS with the negative reaction to the decision to pull Wade Miley when he got pulled. Now, I think as I've talked about this on social media, there's been... Some people have confused me being a little bit frustrated with the fan reaction to me saying that this isn't something that should be debated. I think it's a really cool debate. I think it's a really interesting debate to say, look at the way the Brewers are using pitchers, where the, you know, the, the term initial outgetter is being used, that there's less of a difference between technical starting pitchers and relief pitchers than there has ever been before. I think I think comparing that route of doing things to the more traditional way of doing things, I think that's a very interesting conversation. And I embrace that conversation. And most importantly, for the people who sit on the other side and say, you know what? I want my starting pitcher to go six, seven innings every time out, longer if possible, and then... You, you know, you use the bullpen as little as you possibly can. If that's your stance, that's the traditional way of looking at baseball. If that's your stance, like that's valid. 
I don't agree with it, but it's valid. Like I say all the time, we as a community and a culture have a really hard time looking at somebody who disagrees with us and admitting that, okay, I might not agree with what they're saying, but I see how they got there. And if you can see how they got there, generally you can say, okay, that's a legit argument. I don't agree with it. I think it's wrong, but it's legit. Like there's this, the the idea of debate in this country doesn't exist anymore. And I think it has a lot to do with social media, to be perfectly honest with you. So that's a sidebar. And I've taken that sidebar many times because it's something that really, really frustrates me. So if you're sitting here saying, I can't believe that Wade Miley was taken out of that uh, that game in the NLCS. He was absolutely rolling. This is crazy that you would ever do that. I'm not running away from that being a legit argument. I disagree with you, but I'm not running away from it. What I would say to you is, I hope you're consistent. What I don't like is people who make that argument about Wade Miley not you know being taken out too early in game one of the NLCS, but are hooting, hollering, and saying how great of a manager Craig Council is in game three of the NLDS when Miley goes four and two-thirds innings. We focus too much sometimes on the individual results or the singular results of decisions that are being made in baseball. No decision. If you make the same decision over and over and over, it's not going to always work. Doesn't mean it's a good decision when it works and it was a bad decision when it didn't work. It's always a good decision. It's always a bad decision either way. So if you're watching these Brewers and you watch the 12-game winning streak and as a Brewers fan, you get a kick out of the fact that they won 12 in a row, but you don't like the way they're doing it, you don't think it's the correct way to do it, the the 12-game winning streak be damned, that you, you think that the appropriate way to run a baseball game is different than the way that Craig Council is doing it? Okay, I see where you're coming from. I disagree with you. I will disagree with you to the end of time. But I, I get it. I, I see what you you like the more traditional use of starters and relievers. I get where you're coming from. Now, I also hope you realize that the Brewers just finished a season where they had the best record in the National League. I hope you just realize that the Brewers put together a run of games where they won 12 straight and these games had vitally important meanings throughout. Uh, you might not you might rather see a manager do things a little bit differently, but it's it's hard to argue the results of what the Brewers are doing. So I say all that to say Brewers lose game two of the NLCS. They lose game two because a guy who had been really reliable lately, Corbin Burns, didn't get the job done. They lose it because Jeremy Jeffress gives up a two-run home run. They lose it because they go 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position. And as far as I'm concerned, they don't lose it because Wade Miley came out early. Some people think that Miley came out early and that was... If he would have stayed in, everything would have gone differently. Maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. I do think you have to accept the fact that we actually don't know what would have happened with Miley had he stayed in the game. The way that the Brewers do things, and let me be real clear with this, I don't think they care about what I'm about to say. I think they care about winning ball games, and that's what they should care about. That's what you want them to care about. You want them to worry about winning ball games. But the way they go about things creates scenarios where second-guessers can say all kinds of things, and there's really no way to argue outside of using, well, look what the trends have been. Hey, they just won 12 in a row. So the Brewers have a system where they have a pretty good sense of when stuff might start going wrong. And let's specifically say pitchers. I think across the board, the Brewers are maybe the best organization in baseball at putting players in the correct position to be successful. But let's just stick with pitchers here. The Brewers are very good at knowing when 
a guy's effect effectiveness might start to run a little low, might go away, and they can they can predict that out. Now, does that mean they're right 100% of the time? Clearly, no. That goes back to what I was saying earlier. Sometimes good decisions don't have good outcomes. But the Brewers don't like their starting pitchers going through an order the third time through. Statistically, analytically, whatever whatever tag word you want to use, they can predict the game of baseball that says when a starting pitcher, even if they are pitching really, really well, a starting pitcher goes through an order the third time, pretty good chance that that order, that those batters seeing that starter for a third time in a game are going to get some pretty good swings off them. And things might change a little bit. That doesn't mean it happens all the time. But if it was if it was a scenario where you had a starting pitcher and 70% of the time he goes through the order the third time, he gets absolutely shelled, and 30% of the time he just breezes through, why would you ever leave him in hoping for that 30% chance? Especially when you have a very effective bullpen. Could have Wade Miley continued to be incredibly successful in that second game if he would have been allowed to stay in? Sure. Could have it all gone bad very quickly? Sure. And I do think if you're being fair about things, and I'm being fair saying he could have potentially pitched well, but if you're being fair about it, I think you have to accept the fact that it might have gone bad. And the Brewers and what they're trying to do are trying to remove those situations. And something that very few people are talking about, he got through the third time in the order. First batter that he faces for the third time, base hit. He gets him out. He's probably allowed to stay in. It was the first sign of trouble that he was going to come out. He gave up a base hit third time through the order to the one batter they faced, and they got him out of there. Makes sense. Makes sense to me. And so that's that's my big thing right now. It's I understand why people see a starting pitcher roll through. They, they see him have a ton of effectiveness. See him get pulled. And they get righteously indignant. And again, we can have the conversation. We can have the debate. We can have the conversation on if this is really the direction that you want baseball to be going in. But wins and losses don't lie. They just don't. You know, the, There's a million cliches out there. The Parcells, you are what your record is. The Jay-Z, men lie, women lie, numbers don't. These are all things that if you've listened to me very much, you know I've said. Numbers don't lie. The Brewers have the best record in the National League. Brewers swept through the National League Divisional Series. They won 12 in a row. What they're doing is working. I don't think we can argue whether or not what they're doing is working. And it just it didn't work in game number two uh, all the way. It was working for a while. And then they ended up losing a baseball game. Everybody loses baseball games. They were never going to sweep the Dodgers. They were never going to sweep the Dodgers. The Dodgers are favored over them. I'm not saying they can't get to the World Series. I think the Brewers... Uh, I, I think it's going to be a very close, very tight series, and either side winning will not surprise me. Either team winning will not shock me. But if i got to take a team right now, I'll still take the Brewers. I think they're in perfectly good shape. I like uh, – I, I think the, uh, that's pretty much assuming the bullpen gets rolling again. That's a big part of this. But it was always going to be a tight series. It was always going to be a close series. And I'll make this prediction – Nobody's going to sweep through these next three games in Los Angeles. This series coming back to Milwaukee. There's going to be a game six, and there's a darn good chance that there's going to be a game seven. The Brewers are one of four teams left playing. They've had a spectacular year. They lost a game. It happens. And I don't think one single loss is a reason to start rethinking everything that this team has done. Last thing on this, and we'll move on. Adam Riggs coming up in just a moment. If the DNA of the Brewers, if what they did consistently throughout the year, if they were the Houston Astros, a team that 
really relies on starting pitching and allows starting pitchers to go deep into the games. If all of a sudden Gio Gonzalez goes two innings and then Wade Miley is pulled when he's pulled, not just in the NLCS but also in the NLDS, then you put your hands up in the air and you say, what's going on? Come on, this team got to the postseason. This team is one of four teams remaining in all of Major League Baseball, and all of a sudden they're going to treat things differently. That's a different situation. But this team's DNA, the way they've gone about things, the way they got to the postseason, it was doing things the way they've done things here in the postseason, especially since the calendar turned to September and the rosters opened up a bit. And now even though the rosters are smaller, there's still enough off days to kind of offset the the 25-man roster. So it has a lot to do with the DNA. Maybe, maybe at some point in time, the Brewers turn back into a more conventional baseball team. That could happen. Everything's cyclical. There's there's teams that yeah, you know, there's gonna be teams that have been more traditional, that have fired their general manager, that have a new general manager come in that take teams in a different direction. Tampa Bay. The Rays had a really nice season. I know they didn't make it in the postseason, but they absolutely overachieved. They played well beyond what their roster would indicate that they would have played this past year. That was a really good Rays team. And they were going with bullpen games, seems like, four out of five times, especially after the Archer trade. It's going to happen. It's going to continue to happen around baseball. And the teams, who they are, a team's DNA is going to change based off the people who are making those decisions. All right, enough on that. We have a conversation with Adam Rigg. It is our social media conversation. It starts right now. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers X Trains, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our social media conversation. Now, we just had this guy on just a, a couple programs ago, but I did make the promise to him that we would get him on during the Brewers postseason run. And I'm pretty sure that the Brewers postseason run is still going to be going on when we do the uh, podcast next week. But on the off chance that something happens and it's not, I, I want to make sure to live up to my end of the deal. He's done a lot for us here at the podcast. So I had to get him on. He is uh, Adam Rigg from the Brewer Nation. He is the Brewer Nation. Hey, Adam, how are you? Matt, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm sitting here as we record watching Game 2 of the ALCS. I just can't get enough baseball. This postseason has been great so far. Yeah, let's... um. I want to kind of take a step back and just look at everything. We're, we're talking on Sunday night. The Brewers and uh, the Dodgers are even at one game apiece. The Brewers lose for the first time in three weeks. Their 12-game winning streak comes to an end on Saturday. And for me, I've said this a few times, but it's worth repeating. I think it's really cool to look at that 12-game winning streak and kind of look at the dominoes that fell. It starts with taking a series from Pittsburgh, which is something that this team really struggled doing. Uh, And then they went from being on the playoff bubble to clinching the second wild card position to clinching the top wild card position to securing a game 163 to going in winning game 163 which then gave them the division title and also gave them the best record in the national league to going and sweeping through colorado to taking a 1-0 lead in the nlcs everything i just mentioned happened in 12 games i i think i think that is incredible that that many things can happen over a 12-game period. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's it's one of those unique things about baseball that, you know, you can cram in as much as you do in, in a short amount of time because of how many games they play, uh, how often they play, and just by the nature of the sport, the way it's kind of laid out and uh, the way everything kind of comes together. But, no, the what they've done – was incredible it has been incredible it continues to be incredible um and how you know like you said the time span they did it in uh it's just something to really kind of marvel at a 12 game winning streak at any point in a season is something pretty special obviously Brewers fans know it hasn't happened to this franchise since 1987 until what happened now um and the fact that they're able to 
you know, accomplish so many of their goals in such a short amount of games. Uh, but at the same time, you know, three weeks without walking off the field, you know, with your heads down, it's a, it's a, it's a great run, something that this team should look back fondly on uh, whenever this run that they're currently on comes to an end. I don't want to make this interview and I don't want to make this entire podcast about addressing a vocal minority, but I I was kind of surprised because as they went through that 12-game winning streak, I watched a fan base go from accepting the way that the Brewers go about using pitching to embracing it, and then one loss – and again, vocal minority, there was a group of people that went back the 180 degrees, you know, couldn't believe that a Wade Miley came out, start making questioning a lot of things. I think a lot of those fire council people that were hiding under their couches for the better part of three weeks took the opportunity to uh, jump back out as soon as they lose one single playoff game. They were never going to sweep the Dodgers. The Dodgers are a really, really good team, and there's a reason that the Dodgers are favored over the Brewers, not by much, but they are favored by over the Brewers. By, by folks in Vegas, I, a single loss is not the end of the world, yet for some it is. And it's been, quite honestly, it's been kind of alarming watching a, again, I think it's a vocal minority portion of the fan base react to the game two loss. Yeah, it, it is. It's it, it seems like it's a minority. And, I mean, there's 45, you know, 43, I guess, with the reduced attendance, you know, 43,000 people at Miller Park uh, the last couple of days just screaming their heads off and, and rooting this team on. And, you know, maybe they don't – maybe every single one of those fans isn't a diehard who completely gets the new style that Council's kind of employing here uh, and rolling out on the field. And they don't really understand why Gio Gonzalez comes out after two innings. And, you know, maybe they don't understand all of the aspects that go into the way Council's kind of managed the team. Uh, but the bottom line is the fact that council has gotten this team to this point with this methodology. So it's insane to me that, you know, there's people that consistently, I'm struggling for a way to put this properly, but they, they, they want to be right uh, individually so strongly that they're willing to be overly negative because yeah, in baseball, and I think I've said this on this podcast before, and if not, I certainly said it on Twitter and on my blog and in other places where people can, can find me. But, you know, in baseball, if you're negative 100% of the time, you're going to be right 75% of the time. And the fact that people want to be right so desperately, to oh, look, I, I told you so, you know, that, so they want to just be down on everything and question everything and never have faith and never believe. I don't understand being a fan that way. Um, that's never the way that I've been a fan. And I don't want to try to tell people how to be a fan. But at the same time, can't you just take a half a step back at least and, and be like, okay, it didn't work in game two. Corbin Burns had a bad game. Jeremy Jeffers had some bad results. You know, But it's not like these guys haven't answered the bell you know, 95% of the time when they're called on. So maybe some of these decisions are still the right decisions. Um, and you can have correct decisions and correct analysis and and make the right move and still have that move not work. And I think people need to, to realize that a little bit more that, you know, in baseball, there's a lot that's out of your control. Uh, and sometimes you make the right call and it doesn't work. And sometimes you make a poor decision and it works out great. I mean, that's the nature of sports in general and anything competitive, I guess, where there's decision-making involved. Um, it sometimes it's not going to work out in your favor, but, you know, calling on Corbin Burns just to, to microcosm this to game two, Calling on Corbin Burns was the right move. Um, maybe you could have left Wade Miley in a little bit longer, but you know, as we know, situationally, he's starting the third time through the lineup. He just gave up a hit. You know, that's how you mitigate that uh, third time through the lineup effect is by not having people go through the third time through the lineup. You know, so they're able to uh, they're able to get an, an arm in there that's been super effective. Was uh, great when he pitched in the Colorado series and Corbin Burns. He just got hit around a little bit the Dodgers were able to deploy their left-handers without fear of a Josh Hader substitution um and and it is what it is so like I said it and how you said it these people that kind of come out of the woodwork whenever they see a, a sliver of something that they could pounce on so they, they feel better about their opinion 
uh, it's just uh, I don't understand that way to be a fan personally. You mentioned Jeremy Jeffers and he's been as unlucky as you can get. Now I think in that uh, that second game against the Dodgers, the the two issues that I've ish- that I that I take with him is it was not a good pitch uh, that uh, the home run to Turner that was the, he missed a spot. And the walk to Barnes when you're throwing off-speed stuff to basically a 200 hitter, uh, those those are the two things I take a little bit of an issue with. Uh, but outside of that, he's on this run right now of being as unlucky as any pitcher out there. There's a lot of soft contact that's finding holes here and, and finding holes there. How do you feel about Jeffress right now, where the bulk of the damage against him has? been balls that were probably more probably that that had a higher probability of being outs than hits well i think any pitcher who's predominantly ground ball guy when he's not getting strikeouts uh which is how jeffers is any guy like that is going to have some of that ball in play bad luck from time to time um either you shift the wrong direction uh, a guy like i mean look the hit manny machado uh dumped in game one it was off the end of the bat uh, it sounded like he broke his bat to me uh, in, in the stadium that night, and it just kind of dumped over into left field, um, and the Dodgers were able to, to score runs on that play. Um, you know, so if it's and it was off the plate too, that's why he got it off the end of the bat. So if you're if you're making good pitches and executing good pitches, again, you're making the right decisions, but you know you're not getting the results. So I think Jeffers is pitching more or less okay. Um, I, I wouldn't question his ability to go out there and continue to get the job done. Um, maybe you could have not brought him back out in the eighth after he struggled in the seventh in game two. Um, so maybe that's a thing that you could worry about. But again, the, the ball that put the man on for the home run that became a two-run home run, that's weak contact you know, and little number that dies in the grass and, and Moustakis has really no shot to even try to convert a play on that because of how softly the ball was hit. So that weak contact stuff, it's it's great when it's going well and you know it's kind of getting it to your infielders. Um, but sometimes it, the baseball gods, so to speak, are going to bite back and you're going to have some of those ones go for hits. And so again, I think Jeffress has been pitching pretty well. Um, and it's hard to say he's been pitching great because obviously he's not striking everybody out and he's giving up the hits and, and giving up some of these inherited runners that he was so good at stranding throughout the course of the regular season. Um, but, he, you know, he's, I think he's fine. He had the, the little bit of a hiccup um, with his physical stuff. He, he finally revealed um, what was kind of whispered about was that he was having issues with his epilepsy, uh, that he pretty much has managed the majority of his career pretty well, um, or very well, actually. But maybe that downtime, you know, caused him to get a little bit unsharp. Um, but I think he's going to pitch his way right back into being the dominant guy that we expect. Uh, already you saw Council kind of switch things up in game two. He brought Jefferson earlier uh, with the idea of Knebel for the ninth. Uh, if they were in a, a winning situation, winning formula. So, but you know, for, for Jeremy himself, I think he's I think he's fine. He pitches with emotion. I think he's uh, an extremely confident pitcher, and he's going to be in a spot again. Council said in his press conference uh, just before we got on the horn uh, here together that you know, JJ hasn't had the results, but he's certainly going to get the ball again. And that's the way I think you have to play it. And I think, uh, Jeffers is going to be ready to answer the bell. Something that the, in, in the first game of the national league championship series, the game that they won six, five, they won that largely because it wasn't a lot, but they got the add on run late. They had a lead and they were able to add on, uh, with the Aguilar home run there late in the contest. And then they hold on to win by one run. And then in the second game, they don't get the add-on runs, and they end up losing 4-3, and that's a game where they go 0-5 with runners in scoring position. So as this postseason run continues, and look, this is something that we've, the the ability to hit with runners in scoring position and the ability to take advantage of run scoring opportunities is something that we've talked about with this Brewers team since game number one. That's an area that at times they have certainly struggled with. So from your perspective, how key and how vital is it that they they do lift that runners with scoring position per, uh, average and also start getting some of those tack on runs a little later in games uh, as this postseason run continues? Well, I think anytime you have the opportunity to drive in more runs, put more pressure on the opposing 
bullpen, uh, give yourself a little bit more breathing room, let your guys uh, realize that it's not such a razor-thin margin. I mean, one-run games are some of the toughest situations to pitch in, regardless of what inning it is, regardless of the, you know, the extenuating circumstances. A lead that small is a tough spot to pitch in, and that's why the guys that can consistently get those outs in those situations are so highly valued, so highly sought after, and you know they, they make the big bucks and uh, and get the the positive press and the accolades, and you know they're, they're the focus when anything goes wrong. Um, so obviously, it's important I think to continue to support the bullpen, uh, support the starting pitching, to add on as many runs as possible. Obviously, um, that said, this bullpen has shown repeatedly throughout the course of 2018 that they are capable of holding those thin margins the thinnest of margins so if you don't i think this team is still confident in itself um obviously if there's another one run lead late that flips the other direction uh, while they're out in la then these guys are going to be not pressing necessarily but they're going to be thinking about that up there at the plate and, and thinking about hey maybe we do need to get this extra running across maybe we do need to to you know attack on continue to to push it farther and farther offensively because maybe our bullpen isn't as you know isn't where it has been so you know we want these guys uh i think as the brewers hitters we want them to continue to know that hey getting enough across is something that the bullpen can keep Uh, it's a it's a lead that we can maintain it's a win that we can secure uh, so that they can stay relaxed at the plate and if they are able to convert you know, great. Uh, of course, like I said, there's no situation where adding on runs is a bad thing. So if this team can can do that and everybody can stay confident in each other, uh, that's the, the best formula, I think, for this team moving forward. I know that uh, a lot of people, it's tough in the postseason doing these podcasts because we're so centric on, or so focused on kind of big issue, broader subjects. And quite simply, you can't do that in the postseason because it, we're, it's a it's a game-by-game sort of situation. So as we're talking, they're getting ready for game number three on Monday. But as you look at those, maybe those middle three games as a whole, and it will it is guaranteed to go at least five games, I, th- I would say there's a pretty good chance that... That uh, this, I don't expect either team to sweep over these next three games. I think this thing is going to continue on uh, back into Milwaukee for for a game six and possibly a game seven as well. But what what are the things, or what is the thing? Maybe maybe it's a single thing. What do you want to see the Brewers do better in games three, four, and five as compared to what they did in games one and two? Uh, well, I mean, sort of the. John Madden obvious answers of score more runs and, and prevent more <laughs> runs. Um, no, I think I think the little things will continue to add up. I think we've seen their defense look very sharp in the first couple of games. Uh, obviously, the Dodgers in the, that in their first game were very sloppy uh, defensively, but I think that's a big contributor to why the Brewers won in, in game one, of course, especially with how the score ended up. So I think they need to continue to uh, you know be sharp on defense, do all the little things right, uh, all the fundamental things right. They need to to maintain that focus and that discipline because, as you mentioned, this Dodger team is a very very good baseball team. They're extremely deep. Uh, if, for those people out there listening that maybe haven't seen a lot of Dodger baseball this year, uh, they really do have a deep and flexible bench that allows. Dave Roberts to start one group of hitters, sub in a different group of hitters, and if not get, uh, I should say, if not maintain the level of play, the level of offense, maybe get better depending on their platoon advantages. So this is a really dynamic group uh, at the plate for the Dodgers, and it's something that the Brewers will have to contend with. So if they're able to, like I said, maintain their discipline, I think that's the the main thing they need to keep doing. Um, But also, putting pressure on starting pitching. Uh, they got Clayton Kershaw out early. Uh, they jumped on Ryu and eventually ran him out of the game uh, during game two. That's going to be something else that the Brewers, I think, can continue to try to do even more than to do work the starting pitching because a guy like Walker Buehler, he's young. You know, he's got a lot of talent. Of course, the game three starter, uh, Walker Buehler. He's young. He's got a lot of talent. Um, he's a hell of a pitcher already. But he got flustered in Atlanta. Uh, he got, I think, 
uh, the situation was a little bit bigger than he expected. Uh, when you kind of give up that, that grand slam in game three, right in Atlanta. Yep. So it's it's something that they can they can take advantage of. I think if they can get him into a situation uh, in Bueller, they can get him in, uh, into a situation where he's not comfortable, where he's maybe you know maybe Yelich has a ten pitch at bat, you know, in the first inning or in the third or fourth inning, kind of gets him out of his rhythm. Uh, gets him working a little bit harder than he maybe wants to, you know, get into that soft underbelly of the Dodgers bullpen. Maeda's been pretty good for them. Uh, Pedro Baez has been pretty good for them. Uh, Kenley Jansen, of course, when he's been healthy, has been very good uh, throughout the course of the year. Obviously struggled early. We don't have to get into all that. But there's a lot of that bullpen for the Dodgers that has been pretty poor. So if they can, like I said, work on the starting pitcher, maybe get at some of that, uh, soft underbelly a little bit of the bullpen before they get into the late innings where they're trying to rally against the better arms. I mean, that seems kind of formulaic uh, to say it, but anybody, you know, if you can get at the worst pitchers, that's your <laughs> your best chance to score runs as opposed to trying to rely on a little bit a uh, little bit of better execution against the tougher pitchers. So, yeah, I think I think that's the main thing. Uh, if, they, if they can get some more runs across, all the better. Um, but I think consistently scoring – early will continue to put them in a good position because if they can get the lead they've been very good about keeping a lead it's this is a dodgers team i again this kind of goes back to people freaking out after the brewers lost game number two this is a really good dodgers team and you look at that lineup and it really doesn't matter if it's a right hander or a left hander on the mound and they've got different lineups for both it's really tough to find a hole in the lineup And, and no disrespect meant to the brewers i think the brewers win in a little bit of a different kind of way I, I look at that Dodgers lineup, and I don't think there is a better one through eight lineup in the National League. And it's it's remarkable what Brewers pitchers have done to specifically some of the guys that they've been able to keep down. But that, you know, of course, the Dodgers are going to score some runs late. That's a that's a lineup that can wear you down as the game goes along. Yeah, and, and they've been very good about that. They, I think, it was uh, Ken Rosenthal uh, of Fox Sports and all the other places he is. Uh, who said that the Dodgers kind of grinded against the Brewers bullpen and eventually broke through, uh, you know, in Game Two, and they they rallied late in Game One, uh, you know, they come all the way back in Game Two and, and were able to take the lead, of course. But they, again, it's a it's a heck of a lineup, um, and as I mentioned before, no matter which side of that lineup, which side of the platoon advantage they're deploying at a given time, uh, it's it's a really strong group, like you said. And that's why the Josh Hader situation in game one, by the time they had him in there and had him go in a couple of innings and realized where his pitch count, pitch count got to, they already knew he was burned for game two anyway. So why not leave him out there? And he was very effective in his in his stretch of innings. So the fact that he was able to do what he did, uh, the fact that these guys have been able to you know, kind of temper the, the explosiveness of the Dodgers lineup, it's a testament to what the Brewers have on the mound, despite all of the uh, the rhetoric of the Brewers not having enough pitching. That is bullpenning catching up with the Brewers? This, that, and the other thing. I mean, Wade Miley was tremendous. Uh, the, the guys, he, he had a one hitter, I think, when he left after five and two thirds. So uh, the guys in the bullpen have done a, a very good job. But hey, the Dodgers have some pretty tough left-handed hitters that they can sub in after a lefty starts the game. You know, Max Muncy has been a revelation for them. Cody Bellinger is a very dynamic hitter, obviously a heck of a defender as well, given his uh, the splits that he can play. These guys have so much talent, and they're being put in the best positions for them to win, which is what a manager's job is. And with the Brewers having to go to, you know, right-handers in game two, the Dodgers had the, the advantage there. So, you know, it's, it's a very... It's a very fun matchup to watch as a baseball fan. Um, of course, it didn't work out in the Brewers' favor in Game Two, but you know, bottom line is this is going to be a fun series. You mentioned it a few minutes ago. I don't expect a sweep either direction in LA. Um, uh, two to one, obviously, has to happen without a sweep. But hopefully, it's the Brewers' advantage when they come back in Game Six. Craig Council did not name a Game Four starter previously. Today, we'll probably. Uh, 
will probably name one on Monday, you would think. That's generally kind of the protocol. But do you – Gio Gonzalez only threw a couple innings in the first game. Do you expect him to come right back with him? Is it going to be more of the conventional bullpen game, Brandon Woodruff? What are hey, – this is – I've been wrong every time, like trying to expect <laughs> predict something, whether it's the roster or anything. Uh, but what, what are your expectations on what that game four start in all likelihood will turn into? Um, I, I mean, we know why Council went with Geo and went with Wade Miley in the first two games. It's because the best, the better half of the Dodgers lineup is their left-handed hitting lineup. So they're better when the righties on the mound. Um, hopefully, Justine, not that you asked me about this, but hopefully Justine can keep them down in game three uh, with his combination of stuff and keeping the ball on the ground as opposed to being elevated. That's kind of... Uh, his got to be his game plan, you know, going into game three. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't be overly shocking if Gio factored in, um, possibly again, a short outing to start the game in a game four situation. Uh, but council said that he's not going to know who's going to start game four until after game three. So typically, yes, the game, the next game starter gets interviewed, you know, during the pregame of, uh, the game before it. So maybe the Brewers won't, have that opportunity to have somebody get interviewed, you know, and it's not a, a requirement that you name your guy up until lineup cards are exchanged. I mean, that's the, the, the rule anyway. So it, it sounded like council's leaning in game four towards more of a, of a bullpen game, if you want to call it that. But he also said, you know, he said Freddie Peralta would be involved in the next three games because, you know, that's what he's, he has to pitch at some point. You need pitching to, make it through three back-to-back games. You obviously don't have the rest day in between at any point here uh, after this one today as we record. But, you know, these guys are they're going to be – they're going to have to step up. Uh, they're going to have to provide their innings when they're called on. And when we saw Junior Gare finish off uh, game two, he looked very good in his little outing. So there's there's enough going on here that uh, the Bruce have dealt with, councils have dealt with. They've got their plan of attack, and then they're going to go for it. But – you know the actual core of your question there, as far as a game four starter, to me, given his uh, press conference comments today, it sounded like it's going to be a situation where um, they don't have a Dan Jennings to open the game, right? For example, so it's probably going to be a situation where if Geo doesn't start the game to kind of set the lineup, um, depending on again, maybe maybe they don't need Josh Hader right, in game three, and maybe they can do that where they have Geo start game four, you know, go to a righty have them bring in their left-handed hitters, you know, kind of the cat and mouse game they played in game one. You might see a, re- a repeat of that. But uh, if they need the hater tomorrow, uh, again, Monday's game three, then game four sounded to me like it would be more of a Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta type situation. Well, and two names you just brought up, one on the roster, one not on the roster, that I think is a key here. Because when before the roster was set, I did. I, I was. I would have bet money that Cedeno was going to be on the roster. I didn't think there was a chance in the world that he was left off the NLCS roster. And Keon Broxton seemed to be the guy that made sense. The thing that maybe I would have done differently, just based off usage so far, is because of those left-handed hitters. Maybe I would have considered going with a Dan Jennings over a Freddie Peralta. They didn't do that. They don't do that for a reason. And that's where this plays out. If if you're not going to have Dan Jennings on the roster when you've got a left-handed when you've got a lineup like the Dodgers, um, then uh, then and you want to have lefties on the mound the way we've seen them, you know, with starters uh, getting lefties uh, on the mound as as, as much as possible in the first two games. If you're not going to have Jennings, don't you have to give Peralta a some some pretty important innings at some point in time? Do you see kind of where I'm going with this? That was a long question. <laughs> no, I do, and and I think you're right. I think Peralta's going to factor in heavily at some point. Uh, whether or not he would take the ball first uh, on a given uh, game four, game five type situation. I mean, Freddie's got good stuff. We don't have a lot. Uh, we, we have a little bit of a book on him now with major league innings, uh, but there's still a relatively small sample size. But he's a strikeout pitcher. Um, he baffled a lot of hitters uh, throughout the course of the regular season. Um, we know his success, obviously, against Colorado a team that hits right-handers the, the kind of the way that the Dodgers hit left-handers it's it's a their worst side for sure um so you know Freddie's got I don't I have a, don't have his numbers in front of me I don't think he's got a, a heavy split but obviously given the, his handedness uh given the pitches that he throws 
he's effective against right-handers. Um, and again, he's good at striking people out. So um, the stuff plays. The reason he's a starting pitcher and he's not some kind of a platoon guy in the bullpen because he's able to get everybody out. Um, but no, I think he's gonna he's gonna factor in. He, they needed to have guys with length in their bullpen to kind of supplement the fact that they don't really have a true fourth starting pitcher right now on the roster. Um, you know, they, they've got Justine, they've got Miley, they've got Gio, and they left Davies off the roster. They left Anderson off the roster. Um, Gare's been in the bullpen for some time. Peralta's been in the bullpen for a while now. Um, after he went down to the minors there at the end of the regular season. So they don't really have a fourth guy that you can, in my opinion anyway, count on for six innings. You know, and that's not the – we've mentioned this throughout the podcast. That's not the way – that's not the style of ball they've played, you know, anymore down the stretch here. So, uh, but no, I think Peralta's going to factor in. I think Garrett's going to factor in in the right situation. We saw what Woodruff was able to do um, <laughs> in his appearance. Uh, appearances on the stretch, especially in September as well. So, yeah, I think those guys are are definitely going to be called on, like you said, for key outs uh, in big spots. Um, uh, you know, these are the guys that got them to the dance, so they got to keep dancing with the, the people they came with. And um, I think they, whenever council calls on any one of those guys to come out of the bullpen, uh, starting the game or not, I think he's going to have confidence in him, and I think that we as fans need to as well. All right, I'm going to finish you off with the most important question of the uh, of the podcast. Assuming that it comes back to Milwaukee either for uh, a game slick six slash seven or, or or World Series, who's the individual that has yet to throw out a first pitch that you want to see the Brewers call on to throw out? Which those first pitches have been really cool so far. I've loved every single one of them. It's been a to see the crowd react to all the different individuals the way they have both in the NLDS and NLCS has been cool. But who's that guy, or who are the guys that you still want to see get a first pitch uh, if possible? Well, I mean, obviously, and this is the most obvious person in the history of people to come out and throw out a first pitch, uh, in my opinion, but it's Robin Yount for me. He, he's my favorite player growing up, still my, my favorite all-time baseball player, period. Uh, and you know that he's going to be involved in one of those games, so it's not like that would be a shock or, or kind of a revelation for anybody. Um, but it'd be nice to see him do it. it. I think it would be cool if they could make it to the World Series. Um, I think it would be cool if they had Raleigh Fingers come out and throw one, if only because... When the last time they were in a World Series, had he been able to throw the damn baseball, they probably would have won that World <laughs> Series. Uh, so it might be a nice little kind of a, an omen of good fortune if they're able to get Raleigh on the mound at Miller Park uh, at some point. But uh, those would be the guys that I'd really like to see involved in the World Series. And I don't think they're going to you know, burn them on, a, on an NLCS Game 6, for example. If there's a if the Dodgers are up 3-2, maybe you know, they trot out Robin Young uh, at that point just in case. Uh, but I also don't think they want to double dip and, into somebody. Uh, they're going to try to keep some of those guys back for uh, a World Series situation. So, no, it, it, like I said, it's been cool to this point. The Nigel Morgan one was a stroke of genius um, that a lot of people thought would be a, a cool thing to do. Um, the fact that they rolled him out in the DS was was awesome. Um, and I think they've got a good uh, a good pulse on that kind of thing. You know, Euchre doing game one of the NLCS was a nice uh, a nice touch for him. So, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a fun way to start a game, a fun way to get the crowd going right away. And uh, But, yeah, no, for me, it's Robin Young's my guy almost for every kind of an answer that way. All right. I, I, they probably have Seelig in the back pocket. He's somebody they could go yeah. to. And I think it'd be, you know, I, I know he just got, got out of a job recently, but – uh, I would love to see the crowd reaction to to Molitor if that if they could make that work and I don't know if he'd be willing to do it I don't know you know it, he didn't lose his job in Minnesota that long ago but if if something could happen where he could walk out once again and have the uh, have the Brewers jersey on walking out I think that'd be a pretty cool moment too. Yeah, he, he missed a couple of things along the way here you know with that the, the big uh, Wall of Honor uh, ceremony and uh, some of the other stuff that he's been unable to take a part in because of his uh, situation with Minnesota and the different jobs he's had. No, that would be great too. It's just, you know, and I think that I'm sure they've been on the phone with him uh, and trying to maybe set something like that up, but, you know, it would be great to see the Igniter uh, back in there, maybe maybe catch in Robin Young's first pitch, if not throw him out himself. Um, maybe get Ted Simmons involved. I mean, there's a lot of guys you could go. Don, Don Sutton uh, wouldn't be a, a horrible move. Uh, obviously, uh, they've always got Hank Aaron's number um, if they really wanted to go uh, into Brewers history. So there's a lot of good choices that they could go with, um, and it would be a, a lot of cool moments that they could create for sure. 
All right, great stuff as always. Uh, really appreciate you taking uh, time and encourage everybody, of course, to uh, follow you on Twitter. I'm guessing 99.9% of the people listening uh, to this podcast who do have Twitter already do follow you, uh, at Brewer Nation. But, uh, Adam, always great to catch up. Thanks so much for the time, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again real soon. Absolutely. And, yeah, if you're part of that 0.1% or probably a much bigger uh, percentage than Matt wants to admit, um, and you don't follow me or you blocked me because we got into an argument once, you know, let's let's reconnect. Uh, social media is social. Let's be social with each other. And then that whole always grudges and not be so mean. I mean, Twitter's a fun place. I mean, it's the worst place, but it's a fun place. It, it can be the worst and it can be the best place, <laughs> and it can all happen at one time. It's a very weird, weird thing that we experience, especially for those of us who are very active on social media. Yes, sir. All right, Adam. Thanks so much. All right, go Brewers. Adam Rigg joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, and that is just about going to do it with the program. Uh, we we try to on this podcast make things. I I've, I haven't figured out a, a different word other than generic. Maybe evergreen. That would be a good word for this uh, in terms of the content to make sure that. It's very listenable throughout the course of an entire week until we record the next podcast. A little different in the postseason, uh, a lot different in the postseason when all these things are, uh, are are kind of on a game-to-game basis. So if you're listening later on the week, I certainly hope you're able to uh, get something out of it. Uh, this is our mid NLCS edition. We will do a post-NLCS edition coming up uh, next week, and hopefully... Hopefully, when we're doing this podcast next week, it's also a World Series preview edition of the podcast. But just got to wait and see. So the schedule for the week, Sunday was the off day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they are going to play uh, in Los Angeles. If uh, nobody sweeps those three games, and I don't expect to see a three-game sweep on either side, they'll come back for a game six in Milwaukee on Friday. And then a game seven, if needed, would be played at Miller Park on Saturday. Don't forget, all games can be heard on 620 WTMJ, also 103.3 FM in the uh, direct Milwaukee area and across the Brewers Radio Network. And on WTMJ, make sure to be tuned in after the games for uh, Brewers Extra Innings. We're doing extended shows. We're going deep into the night on these shows as we wrap up all aspects uh, of the game. So we will uh, be continuing to do that as we do uh, move forward. So hopefully you can join us if you're not living in the direct Milwaukee area. You can listen to the stream at WTMJ.com on the WTMJ uh, mobile app. And uh, they do, uh, you can't stream the actual games at WTMJ.com. Major League Baseball owns the digital rights to radio broadcast, so they charge. So if you have like the MLB.tv package or the MLB uh, at-bat radio package, I believe you're able to listen to it. But once the network broadcast goes off the air and we start the Brewers X-Turning Show, that's when we start streaming stuff again at, uh, at WTMJ.com, just in case you do live outside the area and you want to stream the program. So that's something to keep an eye out for, or I guess technically an ear out for. Thanks so much for being tuned in. Thanks to Adam Rigg for joining us as well. Look forward to talking to you next week. Next week could be a fun one. Hopefully it's a fun one. Hopefully it's not a disappointing one. But uh, looking forward to talking next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.